you have finally gotten your game ready. It's going to go into the store, maybe multiple stores. Maybe now it's time to get some big boy pants. Time to figure out what your build process is, how to automate it, and where to host it. That's what we're talking about in this episode of Dev Radio. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Microsoft Dev Radio. I'm Jerry, and I am here with Janelle and Tobiah, two of my absolute favorite evangelists. Let's start with my truly favorite, Janelle. Janelle, thanks for being on the show. I don't think I've ever had you on Dev Radio before. You have not. This is the first time. This I'm is going to be my favorite episode. I can tell already. I can tell already. Um, now, uh, you're in... You live next door to Tobiah, so tell me just a little bit about where you guys are from and uh, who you are, Janelle, specifically. Well, I'm I know you don't actually live next door to Tobiah. Yeah, we're close, but anyway, I am here in San Francisco, and I'm a technical evangelist. I've been one for four years, and I really focus on infrastructure, a lot of ops-related stuff, DevOps, and things like that. Okay, okay. More like an IT pro than a developer. Yes, exactly. Most of the time. You put the pro in IT pro, uh, I guess. Something like the that. IT, IT yes. Uh, Tobiah, thanks for being on the show too, man. Uh, now, for let's me. see. I think you have been on the show. I believe before. I have before. A long time ago, though. Now, Tobiah, um, what's your last name? Zarlez. Now, tell me the magic of your last name. Well, I was Tobiah Marks, and then I got married, and now I'm Tobiah Zarlez. And uh, that is unusual because I am male. Yes, yes. And it, you didn't take your wife's name. No, we actually invented a new name uh, for our new family. We kind of combined is... uh, the letters a bit and uh, made a whole new lineage. We still haven't made it... the family crest yet, but uh, we'll get to it. Well, you're not really married until you have a crest, so that's going to be... And a song. You're going to need a family song. So. That, that's <laughs> so true. That's true. We need a commission, you know, the whole ordeal. <laughs> Then I'm yeah, desperately like, behind. Um, like that, like okay. the All Blacks chant, you know, where they go, whoa, whoa. You know, you need one of those. Oh, yeah, handshake, you know, hold out yours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, Tobiah, you're not an IT pro. I am not. Uh, I'm actually a game developer uh, in experience, and as an evangelist, uh, I focus on talking to game developers, doing game development-related technology. Um, I also touch uh, a lot of the DevOps space, as we're going to talk about here, and how you can use DevOps to help make games as well. Um, and I am located in Mountain View. So uh, according to you, Jerry, we are next door uh, because we're both <laughs> Northern California evangelists. Uh, but for Janelle and I, one of us has to drive like an hour and a half to see each other. Yeah. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, that's great. So you guys get to collaborate constantly, and I get to talk to you just today. That's great. Now, um, let's back up. We have a customer or a, a partner or affiliate or I don't know what it's the right word. Um, they are Goodbye Games. Goodbye yeah. World Games, right? Goodbye, Goodbye World, World Games. Uh, so yes. they started off as they were some students who made this really awesome, interesting game called Close Your. Um, and they submitted it to a bunch of festivals and won. Um, it was selected huh. GDC, the IGF at GDC, I should say, and Indiecade. Um, and so they said, all right, this is a real thing. Let's make a Kickstarter for it. And it was a successfully funded Kickstarter. And they got tens of thousands of dollars to make a company and start making this. Um, but the problem wow. was that 
you know, these were fresh out of college students, game devs, who've had, you know, some varying levels of experience amongst the whole team, um, but they did not have any formal build process. They really didn't even understand what I meant sure. when I started talking about, hey, what is your build process? Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we kind of came up with a way to help them out that uh, would greatly improve the amount of time it would take to build or any game developer. Now, uh, they're, they're not special, by the way. Uh, you know, any, any new or young company, um, they're faking it till they make it, right? And they all start without process and without all kinds. And the bigger they get, the more that, you know, sometimes you can think of it as maybe architectural debt or something like that. The more that becomes painful, the more it becomes painful, the more they start to adjust. So it's not just something special for them. Almost anybody listening probably can ex can, has experience with too little process. I'm sure many have too much process. But at the same time, there is this sweet spot where, the, or life, where life can be happy. Life can yeah, be really I mean, happy. Emphasize that they aren't like wrong. You know, it wasn't that mm -hmm. they were doing it wrong because uh, everyone's process can probably always be improved. Right? There's no one who has the perfect ideal process. It's always an ever-moving theme because, of course, processes should change as needs change as well. Um, but yeah, as you said, a lot of companies, they start up and they focus on the product, they focus on, you know, doing things as quickly as possible, but then once they start getting to uh, the day-to-day -day development, they realize, hey, we have some inefficiencies here that if we actually started formalizing this a bit, we can save hours per week. All right, so let's pretend I do work for Goodbye World Games, or I'm working for Jerry Games, um, and you walk up to me and say this to me, Tobias, and I say back to you, what is a build process? What are you even talking about? How do you explain it? Uh, so we start off with a thing we call value stream mapping. Um, okay. And if you want to, I won't go too much in depth because we'll probably spend the entire show talking about what that means. There's a lot of great yeah. resources out there. Um, bottom line, though, for all of today, I would recommend uh, reading the book The Phoenix Project, probably one of my favorite uh, technical manuals because it's written as uh, fiction rather than an actual like technical guidance, so you're reading like a dramatization story about a person going through a process. Anyway, I digress. Um, we start with a value stream mapping, which basically just maps out, hey, how does bits go from an idea to something shipped in some way? Now, um, it, we're talking about a game in pre-development um, that's you know shipping a test build to the testers, whether they're internal or external, um, but in a live ops game, we're talking about the whole process um, and thinking about, you know, some coders work on some code, they commit it to this repository, some other coder might download it, check it, they might, some person might on their machine then say, oh, this is ready, I'm going to build it, save it, put it in a zip file, put that zip file on Dropbox, share that link in an email to X, Y, and yeah, Z, yeah, yeah. who approves <laughs> it and forwards that link going on. And, you know, that might sound really familiar to a lot of different people. And, it might not sound like that's a whole lot of steps, like, oh, I have to like write an email and do these things. But once you start like blocking out these blocks in the process, and you start putting numbers, like, how long does that take? Oh, uh, that takes me five yeah. minutes. Uh, that takes this. But then you factor in the wait time. Well, I have to send this email, and then I have to wait for this other person to look at it and get back. And that can take you know, up to two hours or longer if that person goes on vacation. You can easily identify uh, what we call heroes yeah. in the process, where that person has to be involved. Otherwise, the build doesn't get created. And yeah. it's not necessarily 
because that person is so amazingly skilled that only them could possibly handle that process, but that the process is set up in such a way that they, only they have the tools or the resources available to do so. And once you map out that process, finding the solutions kind of inherently becomes obvious. And as you mentioned before, there's we work with this with tons of companies, big and small, who've never gone through this mapping process. And at once you start formalizing and mapping it out, you can easily connect the dots and go, oh, wait, we can eliminate that by having the build go here and maybe setting up a system for automatically notify you there. Um, and specifically talking about uh, replicating a Unity cloud build process and building your own custom Unity cloud build, um, a lot of it can really get wrapped up in this awesome tool called Jenkins, which is an awesome open source project. You can set it up on a VM and handle all of the steps for you from I committed something into my GitHub repo to notifying the right people on Slack to sending out a build to yeah. distributing that build to something like Hockey App, um, all handled automatically for you. Now, now before, before we get to the full solution here, uh, let's talk about... The politics of process reengineering, because there is something there. You know, I step back, and you're like, "Hey, you uh, you need to look at your process." And you're like, "Well, what should I look at?" Well, you should look what people are involved, and how do you rely on individuals? You know, as part of the process, how long does it take, and how much pain is it? You know, how much does it actually cost you to actually go through the process? Any of those seem big, then you can reduce, and you can always seem to reduce. And Janelle, you go into a company. How do you start this conversation without calling their baby ugly? Yeah, that's that's one of the hard the hard parts. You do have to really go into this with an open mind, make it a really safe space where people can sort of point out flaws without getting, you know, zinged for it some way. It has to be really open and you have to bring kind of the right people in who are sort of willing to have that conversation. And and sometimes some things are just, you know, easy fixes, some things are, you know, larger process changes that you need to make. Yep. And sometimes you can't solve it all at once, but having this big map and being able to say, this is where we began, this is where we'd like to go, you can continue, you, you can build on that. You can come back a couple months later, run another process, and be like, look, we really improved this part. Now we're going to go work on this next part. And it's really incremental, yeah. and it, it, it changes over time. And it's not, like Tobias said at the beginning, people aren't wrong. It's just that, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can do things uh, better. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit like pulling teeth, too, because it's inevitable. You have to do it. You know, you can ignore it as long as you want, but eventually you are going to grow up and you do need to lose these teeth, and it is going to be, you know what I mean? And so as companies look at this, they can, they can resist it, but eventually it's going to catch them, and eventually they do it. Uh, Tobiah, what's step number one? I, I, I have agreed. I am going to take a look at this. Um, how do, what's step number one when, you, when you're interacting with a customer? So uh, when we're starting the value stream mapping, as Jill said, you have to have the open mind, have to get it out there, and we don't offer any solutions to the problem until mm -hmm. we fully understand what their process is. Because uh, mm -hmm. one of the things that makes uh, talking about DevOps technology unique um, is that there really isn't just we're going to throw this you know Jenkins whatever keyword solution at you and this is going to work and here's how it'll fit in, but it really has yeah. to be a custom solution for every company and unique in what works and where something will fit in the process and where their heroics may be. Um, so we are very careful not to try and 
make because people you know once they get into the process they'll be excited and start thinking about oh i can slim this down i can slim this down right and we usually at some point have to let's stop break them for lunch no, no, no. so i can go mm-hmm. fix let's, it let's, right. let's let's figure out this whole process first and then from there we can have a discussion on solutions once we have the yeah. full big picture um and again also like you know said it's not about and let's solve the whole thing now after right. lunch right like okay, yeah you usually have to look at okay what are the top three problems that we could solve in 24 hours, right? Yeah. And it's one thing yeah. that's like, oh, we could spend two weeks working on this thing that might be the most efficient, but we could also spend a day doing this other thing, and that will save, you know, three, five hours work per week. Might not yeah. sound like a lot, but then when you start doing the math for them and say, oh, well, we've sacrificed, uh, you know, let's say two work days and what do you call that, 16 hours work. We're going to save three hours a week. Uh, we're going to be working on this project for six right. months. Hey, that actually works out pretty well math-wise. Yeah, and you've got the future as well, right? Because who knows what's coming next, and the ultimate cost of software is maintenance in the first place. So I think that is really a valuable thing to just get people in the right – okay, so everybody's in the right mindset. All the right people are in the room. We have filled the whiteboards with so many steps. Now, Janelle, it's great that you're in the room because you're our DevOps expert. Um, tell me the DevOps product that Microsoft makes. Is it called Microsoft DevOps or no, what's the name no, of it? No, no, no. That's the thing. You can't actually really buy the DevOps. Like, every company has tools that fit in. And when you go into a company, you have to look at the tools that they're already using. We're not asking people to completely swap out what they're already doing with some sort of, you know, magic solution because there isn't one. So it's really about looking at what they're using, um, making suggestions about things that are out there, open source, you know, full purchase products, those sort of things that might fit in, and how those tie together and what they're, al- what they're already using. You want something that people are comfortable using and are willing to use. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful, you know, now, at the end anyway. Uh, now, what, what do you say? My company, we're not comfortable with continuous integration, right? It's just too fast, too intense. Am I still a candidate for this? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of different levels of way you can do uh, any sort of the DevOps process, right? Continuous integration can scare people when they're talking about going to live, but you can also pitch them from a small scale, like maybe doing continuous integration internally for testing, or that's just one aspect of maybe it's not continuous, but maybe every time the mm-hmm. build goes up, it simply mm-hmm. just saves it into an Azure cold storage and you have that review and you can tell them stories about, well, have you ever had a situation where you're working on the game and then some investor came on or some important person and you wanted to show them a demo and then you pull up the latest build and it's, oh, wait, the last level's broken or this part of it's broken because it's still in the middle of development. Wait, who has the build from last week? Oh, wait, it was the last week, the last (laughs) stable build. You know, having that organized process uh, solves a lot of problems before that happens. And, now, and um, tossing in a few, just to throw in a couple other yeah. things, like automatic, you know, automatic testing, just things that you, you know, like some little sanity checks and things that you might skip over, you can automate in that process, even without going through the entire release, just kind of like, oh, every time we commit, like, hey, does it still run? Does it come on? Like yeah. really simple things that can throw a wrench in later, later down the line. And I think a lot of customers, they hear things like automated testing, and they're like, we don't have time for that. But automated testing, testing can test one method, and you've got automated testing in place, and now tomorrow you can write a test for a second method, and you can grow mm-hmm. from there. It's not a matter of 100% code coverage on day one. Yeah, you don't need to have deeply, deeply integrated automated testing. Like it just not, Some versus none does a huge thing in itself. It just mm-hmm. makes sure that your app runs. And if you have yeah. a app breaking bug 
and there are bugs that come up that way that you don't realize. Sure. You know, I've, break I've the heard build. of developers doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> but having something that literally opens your app and makes sure that it's actually running can yeah. save you tons of time and headache by immediately letting you know. Oh, by the way, that commit breaks the build. Yeah. Yeah, that just a tiny drop like that is a great place to start. All right, uh, let's go back to games. So what's special about the automated build pipeline for games? I think there's a couple things that make games uh, a particularly unique DevOps scenario. Uh, one is that I don't see as many people talking about it. Um, in a lot of software oh. development houses, you have a lot more IT pros involved in the process of the chain, there's a lot more experience coming in there. And a lot of game companies, especially small indie game developers, um, there's just less exposure to that. Um, and so you see it, of course, a tons mm -hmm. in big game process and more and more people are picking it up. Um, but as the tools are becoming more and more accessible and easier to attain and the knowledge is out there, you're now seeing you know, these small startups and these mobile app studios start adapting these processes as well and then becoming not just a side thing that we do but core to their product and the way they're able to continuously deploy. Um, you know, in the freemium app space, uh, for games in particular, is huge. And not you know, every game is a freemium game, but those games in particular are really services, not products. And so having continuous deployment, continuous testing is core to make that possible and happen and be able to deliver content updates, you know, on a weekly basis. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of, um, a lot of people don't know that cheat codes are built on purpose for testing. Like, how are you going to test, test level nine without going through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? So cheat codes are invented, right, for us. So we can go ahead and make those tests. It's a kind of a, a fun mm -hmm. little... Yeah, well, I mean, industry, in, in big studios, you used to have to go through just months of testing, and you throw it over a wall to some, you know, dark room where you have developers sit there, and they play the game over and over yeah. and over again. Um, and, you know, that's tons and tons of time resources. And I'm not saying that yeah. you don't need thorough testing, but um, just like how cheat codes were a tool to enable testers to be able to test certain aspects of the game more quickly, mm -hmm. um, DevOps can add even more tools so the developers can deploy even more quickly. As a, as a personal example, I'm making a multiplayer uh, mobile game, and so it needs to deploy something onto 14 different phones. And it might sound silly, but just yeah. the notion of plugging in these phones one at a time, sideloading, oh one at a time, yeah. sideloading, one at a time, yeah. sideloading, versus I make a commit, it builds in the cloud, then it individually pushes those files to all 14 phones, which download them and install them simultaneously. Of it's course. like magic once you get it set up. Yeah, and it's such a, it's such a good experience. Um, Janelle, uh, listen, yeah. my company, we're talking about a build pipeline. We're putting it in place. You say to me, you know, you probably should put it in the cloud. Why should I put it in the cloud? Come on, everything belongs in the cloud, doesn't it? These what? Days? No, no, does no, it? No, no, no. Well, in, in this particular case, it does make sense. Particularly with the smaller game shops, you're not necessarily coming with a lot of operations experience, certainly not a lot of space or ability to, you know, manage and rack hardware and kind of like build your own mini data center. Mm -hmm. So going ahead and using the cloud for that sort of thing is a great way to get started. You want that storage, you want that compute, you know, yeah. you, need, you need that sort of stuff. 
easily accessible. And in this particular case, you might not want that server running all of the time. So mm, by building this point. in the cloud, you can actually you know manage your costs a little bit by say only having it come on you know during your work hours or when those builds really need to be built. Uh, it it is a funny um, it is a funny situation where if I move to a place where I can scale to infinite size, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> it mm -hmm. seems like it wouldn't be that yeah. way, but yeah. it really is. But yeah, you scale uh, to the size you need it to be, right? So if you have a hundred developers and they all need to build at once, you can have a hundred machines building right. just in that moment. But then if you have one developer who you That's you know you right. really only need to build once a week, then you only need to pay for the server for you know once a week and however long it needs to take to build. And That's it ends right. up being no, a lot there's cheaper no than people make There's no point in melting my MacBook in the corner, right? There's it was right. all hundred of us trying to build at the same time. Yeah. Now, uh, Tobiah, this we're. This is a Unity game that we're building, and uh, doesn't Unity already have a service like this? They do. So Unity has cloud builds, but there's some reasons why you might want to go for a custom solution. Uh, Unity cloud builds um, give you, you know, just the basic options for just a couple platforms. So if you want to go to uh -huh. all of the platforms that Unity supports, first off, including like Windows. Windows Store, yeah, you, yeah. Would, you need to be able to build from Unity itself. Um, but you also might have some custom requirements or SDKs or file types um, that you want to build. Um, perhaps you want to do some interesting things with your database. Um, for instance, uh, if you have a code base and then a separate code base for the assets. Maybe you have different assets oh, per sure. platform, or yeah. um, you have a code. The coders can see one batch, but uh, that uh, one code base, but you want to be able to, you know, keep private other resources or other aspects, um, and you can dynamically build them all together and do whatever custom script you want on your end is the, in your own custom cloud build to be able to pull that at exactly the app that you want to build the exact custom version that has just the assets for that mobile or cloud version or whatever you know type of game you're building especially sure. if you're doing cross-platform build that do that and then the follow-through you also get a lot more customization because rather than just simply mm. here's the link you can download it now you can upload it to say an Azure cold source, you always have it, it's there, it's you know saved very, very cheaply, you can access it whenever you need to, you can revert back to it, uh, you can then push it to various testers based on if it passed those tests, if it failed those tests, um, yeah. you can even have it you know ping someone on your internal Slack channel um, or hook hmm. up to any other service, you can even write some custom integration with a bot if you want to and have the person say, okay, send this back and continue on the steps there um, because it's your custom code that you can run and the sky's the limit on what makes sense for your process. Well, I ha now I have a custom build process. Janelle, that means it's super flexible. Doesn't that mean it's more expensive? No, no, it doesn't. I, when you're looking at building something on a VM in Azure, you're talking paying for compute, paying for storage. You know, so it doesn't really matter what you're running on that server. It's just a matter of how you actually get it configured, which is, you know, another challenge for mm -hmm. smaller shops. Once again, you know, not people who really specialize in managing servers you know, from an ops standpoint. So one of the things that we really liked, what we looked at doing and wanted to do with this particular project was make it so that it could basically be one line deployment using oh. the CLI or using PowerShell, using templates and uh, DSC, which is desired state configuration, to actually deploy the server, install all the software, and then just end with a running machine that they just need to log in and customize their Jenkins and their, mm. you know, settings. Nice. Okay, so um, when you say custom now, Tobiah, you don't mean build from scratch. There are tools out there I can leverage. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, there's all sorts of tools from the process from uh, Chocolaty lets you install whatever thing you want on the server. Um, as I mentioned before, Jenkins is this amazing, robust piece of software that makes it incredibly easy to build build process. I know I talked about you know all these different custom things, but it's literally drag and drop menu items uh, in this UI, um, and it's okay. Uh, once you understand what's going on, it's incredibly easy to be able to make whatever modular builds that you want. Um, and this is an also side point too in this downloading. This is kind of a, another, you know, going back a point to like why custom cloud builds and a process is so important is that when you build this, you state version numbers. You know, I'm building mm -hmm. against Unity 5.5 versus 5.6. You know, and yeah. if you use other services, you might get, you know, whatever the latest is or the, the latest one. And yeah. latest sounds great, but when you're talking about, you know, hey, you need to ship your game now and you've been testing on 5.5 .5 and then, you know, some new feature comes out or some new thing that you have to change something or some bug is introduced or something's different, you know, problems arise and things yeah. are not going to work. And generally, software companies try to give support once they go to the next versions to make sure it's legacy. Um, but in a game, you know, you might release a build and then six months later want to come back and port it to another platform or you know make a version two or do something else and then suddenly you're trying to remember like wait was i using version three of this plugin or version four and what's the differences here and yeah defining your build process kind of locks in in time those version numbers in that moment so you can have full conscious aware of i'm using these builds and so you know that in the future when you build again, you use those versions, you know it's going to work, you know it's going to build, and then you also know, hey, there's the latest version. You can consciously upgrade that, test it, make sure it works, and then continue the deployment that way. Makes sense to me. Uh, Janelle, a buddy of mine uses Amazon Web Services, and uh, they have all kinds of stuff going. And they seem pretty happy. You, you're talking to me about Azure. It's compelling. What do I give up? Is it just Microsoft technology? I need to support the Windows Store, or how, what's? Tell you me the can, Azure story. You can put anything you want in Azure. Well over a quarter, it keeps going up of our builds, of our workloads in Azure, our Linux. So you can really build whatever you want. One mm. of the great things about Jenkins is you can build it on a Windows server. You can build it on a Linux server. So you can bring whatever uh, tooling, operating systems you're comfortable with, and whatever command line, all that sort of stuff that you're already using on your workstation, and control and manage and engage with Azure. Hmm. I like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, talk to me. Let's back up again. All right. So now it sounds like I can use Azure. It sounds like I've got some of these tools. Actually, to buy a list off a couple of more of them. I, I want to do some investigation. It'd be nice to do com some comparison. You told me about Jenkins. Run through yeah, so, a couple so for, bit more that I might run into. If you're making a, a Unity game and you're mostly, you know, you all internal Unity plugins aside, like I'm not talking about anything within the Unity asset store, you know, from your Unity okay. package, what tools you need to be able to make builds. It's actually not an extensive list. Um, we used Chocolatey on the server to be able to download uh, the Unity itself and uh, any other packages you may need from there. Uh, we downloaded Unity for our case in particular. Um, Visual Studio on the server as well uh, because we are also wanting to make sure we support Windows builds. So, you know, that okay. makes sense there. Um, and then we had to install and run Jenkins. And that's all that we needed. Okay. We integrated into Slack and other things, and so there was some API keys that we needed for certain tools, um, and mm -hmm. those need to be gathered. But software itself, that core, is all that was needed. 
Okay. Janelle, now be honest with me. My yeah. team, we've only got two developers. I'm going to mm -hmm. say, stop all development. We want to build out this automated process. About how much time am I really looking at? If you're already using a pre-existing template, which is something that we already provided, you can actually get a whole bunch of different basic VM templates out of like the Azure uh, Quick Start area and things like that. So we started with one of those. We tweaked okay. it a little bit so that we were using a VM size that we wanted because the size of VM you pick uh, relates to cost and things like that, what we needed. Sure. So we made sure we tweaked it for that. And then we just had this configuration script that used Chocolatey to pull down Jenkins and GitHub and Git and all of the other components and install. From the oh, time I forgot that you to actually, mention Git. That is yeah, definitely a tool that you need to Definitely need that for the, for the plugins to GitHub. But once we actually had that together and um, running, it took about 45 minutes to build. Okay, so you're saying about a week. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, yeah, probably. Um, it really depends on, you do have to either be talking to somebody who understands um, DSC configurations and, you know, starting with um, ARM templates. But like I said, there's a bunch of starting points for that. So a lot of times you can just find something and be like, oh, well, this one's using like a super huge VM that I don't want to pay for. So I'm going to change the VM, you know, in the, in, um, in the JSON and, you know, it'll deploy what you want. Right, so there, there probably is something there, but the, the value back is the, I mean, it's like, yeah. I guess if you mill the iron ore, if you design the car, build it, paint it, it only takes 45 minutes for it to dry, right? I mean, there's something funny there, but at the same time, um, you got to look at the reason you, we started this whole conversation was around process, the process that we identify what this step costs, what this step costs, what this step costs, and as we start introducing all this automation and all this magic that you can do, Really, we start saying, okay, now we still have these three steps because we can't get past them, but those three steps now cost us this, and we can start putting real numbers and real value and say, like, this is worth its weight in gold. We can't afford not to do it. And that's why usually, we did the value yeah, stream mapping process in the first place, because we're not just saying, here, apply Azure Cloud. It'll be good. Trust us. Right. Run this but in yeah. Azure and everything's better. Start yeah. it. We yeah. can determine with pretty good accuracy exactly how many hours per week you're going to save by implementing this process. And, you know, yeah. we can estimate how long things are going to build, and, you know, there may be bugs, there may be learning involved, but even being flexible with those numbers, you, you can usually find pretty solidly that, hey, we're going to be saving significant amount of hours yeah. per week. And, you know, assuming that you're going to be working on this project for more than a week or two, the long run savings are obvious. And it, it's almost like big data. Big data will answer your question, but it'll also introduce your ability to ask new questions that you never had before. You build a process like this, yeah, it'll solve and make it quicker to do what you're doing today. But now you can invest or start like tinkering with other processes as well. Man, what if we did this every day? What if we did this twice a day? What if we had A-B testing? What if we did, you know what I mean? And all these things are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't do that now because it's just too expensive. Yeah, what well, if somebody might be willing once a week and then realize with this process, if they go from a build takes, even if, you know, in some hypothetical scenario, a build whole process only took two hours. Mm. But if you automated it all and it happens continuously every within 10 minutes of every commit, that can greatly change the way your entire work oh, yeah. environment works. Um, and oh, yeah. it also, it, it has all these segments, like you said, that want, you know, like I mentioned before about the version numbers, where that might be something that people aren't keeping track of right now. But uh, what about people who are not technical being able to make builds? You know, I could oh, have my yeah. level designer yeah. tweak something in my game. Yeah, not my most commit. expensive architect right now is the only guy I can ask 
to your do build it, engine so complicated. Your engineers, they can be focusing on the hard problems, but the easy stuff, like the level designer wants to build a version with of ten different versions of the level and play it and try it out. Yeah, they can do that themselves. The build works. They can download it themselves and be able to test that. And now they are enabled in a way that you know, for them, they had to give it off to a programmer and wait some indeterminate amount of time as a black box to be able to get something out. Hmm. All right, you guys have convinced me. The last thing I want to do is argue with Janelle over this because she's always <laughs> right. Uh, Tobiah, a developer's listening to this and they're like, you know what? Why have I put it off so long? Where do you send a developer who's looking for more information? Uh, so I have a URL set up, uh, aka.ms, game cloud builds. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to. Yeah, AKA.ms slash game cloud builds, uh, where we have information including uh, links to the GitHub repo where we had the exact uh, build template that we use for Goodbye World Games that you can look at based on and mm -hmm. uh, tweak as needed. Um, and beyond that as well, uh, Janelle and I, you know, if you ever have any questions or problems or you want to set this up for your own company, uh, you find our Twitter handles, we try, at our email addresses, we make it easy to find, and we can get yep. you set up as well. Um, I would also, yep. I mentioned it before, uh, but I would highly recommend the book, The Phoenix Project. Um, and I'm not, we're not affiliated with them in any way, but they are, uh, it's an amazing book, and it, uh, just reading it itself will, uh, if you start applying the lessons you learn, can also greatly help. Well the Phoenix Project is sort of the VSM Bible to a lot of people. You know it what really, I mean? It really is. It, it, it's, yeah. it's a VSM for the, the common man because it's an easy read. And it's got a nice story to it, you know, and it just kind of pulls you along. I, I would just recommend it if you like fictional drama. Drama, about, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of drama. Place. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, yeah. That, that's interesting. It's almost like a historical drama just inside your office. Yeah, that's wild. I like it. All right, guys. Listen, if you're a developer and you're listening to this show and you've ever built software and you've hit build at the end, and you now you know that it needs to be tested. Now you know that you need to send it out. Wouldn't it be great that you would automate the entire process so you knew it was correct every single time? Why aren't you doing it? Well, maybe you never thought about it until Janelle set you straight. Maybe you didn't know until you start reading all of the article that Tobias put together so you can see how simple this is. And look, both of these guys took everything, put it on GitHub so you can reference it as well. Tobias, Janelle, guys, awesome. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having Thanks for us. Having us.